Um, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Uh, I'm glad each and every one of you are here. And so um, I want to get to know you each and every. I want to know. Get, I want to get to know each and every one of you. Um, so come up afterwards. Introduce yourself to me. Um, give me your phone number. I'd love to hang out. Um, it doesn't have to be super intense. We can just go play pool in Corbett, or we can go. I don't know. We can go do something. So. Um, I want to get to know you because, um, yeah, at the end of the day, I care about you. So um, I want to give a shout out to some friends, some old NMSU alum who are here, um, Luke and Monica and Chris and Tessa. So um, RUF has a really long tradition here at New Mexico State, um, longer than most of us have been alive. So um, you are a part of something really exciting and big, even if this is your first time tonight. So um, again, welcome. Like I said, I'm Jonathan. Um, this is our first large group back. This is the first time that um, we're back here again. This is my first time, like I said. So I want to take a quick minute and uh, talk about what is RUF. Maybe some of you are like, what have I wandered into? And uh, maybe some of you know what you're wandering into. But let me tell you what RUF is. RUF is a place, we, maybe you've seen our tagline around. We call RUF a, weary, a, place for, a rest stop for weary Christians and a safe place for skeptics. What do I mean by that? I hope that that captures each and every one of you. Maybe, maybe you consider yourself a Christian and you're just like, man, I'm tired, which is, describes a lot of us a lot of the time in our faith, in our life. And so we want RUF a place where, to be a place where you can come and be honest about yourself, be honest about your life, be honest about faith, not feel like you have to make everything okay in your faith. Um, so we want to be that rest stop where you can refill emotionally, spiritually, but also physically, mentally, socially. Um, but then maybe some of you are here and you don't know why you're here. Maybe you don't consider yourself a Christian or maybe you aren't sure where you stand. Maybe you have some doubts and skeptics. We're thrilled you're here as well. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. We want RUF to be a place where you can ask hard questions and get serious answers. We want RUF to be a place where you can say, I don't know what I think about faith. I don't know what I think about Christianity. And I have a lot of concerns. So we are glad you're here and we want RUF to be that sort of community for you as well. So I hope that makes sense. If you have questions about that, please come up to me either tonight or tomorrow or sometime. I'd love to get uh, coffee and talk about it, like I said. So um, this week, do we have the slide for um, this? I mean, this, week, this semester, we're going to be talking through the book of 1 John. 1 John is a book that was written in the Bible many years ago, obviously. It's written by an apostle, John, who is a follower of Jesus Christ. And he's writing a letter to a bunch of Christians in the first century AD. So you might be thinking, why would we be spending 13 weeks talking about a letter? Well, I want to, there's a lot of reasons, but I want to give just a couple. And the main reason why I think we need to look at this book is because this book, 1 John, is all about love. It is all about love. And so love is a really, it was a big topic back then. It's a big topic today. John's readers desperately needed to know, what is love? How do we love well? How do I love my neighbor well? How do I love God well? And John in this book gives us all kinds of resources and answers, not just intellectual knowledge, but actual like reason, empowerment to love well. And I think that's, that's a really important topic for us to talk about. Aren't we the same today? Our world desperately is asking, how do we make society work today? How do I love my roommate? Everything from my roommate to society, we're asking, how do I love well? What are 99% of songs about today? Turn on the radio. Doesn't matter what you're listening to. Hip-hop, country, folk, Americana, R&B. They're about love of some sort, right? Am I right? Maybe 
Maybe you are looking around, you've got a roommate, and you're just like, I don't know how to care for this person. This person is really, really difficult for me to live with. I don't know how to love them. Maybe some of you in your family, you know, I've talked with a lot of students in the last couple of weeks, and some of you come from some family situations where your family is hard. It's hard for you to love your family well. You care for them deeply because they're your family, and maybe they've mistreated you. Maybe there's something, and you're like, I want to care for them well, and I don't know how to love them well. That's why we need to talk about this. And then, of course, think about our society today at large. We always, you know, you look on anything. It's like, look on BuzzFeed, and what do you see? You'll see something about, like, so-and-so claps back at the haters. You know, something like that. Or, you know, you'll see, like, you look, on, you look online and you see a, uh, about protests, you know, just like the women's protests that happened in, um, this week. And what were, I looked on some of the, what some of the posters were. You know what the posters were? Most of them were, love con- conquers hate. Love Trump's hate, which is kind of ironic. (laughs) (laughs) Or love, not hate, will make America great again. Look at us, guys. All the way down from our roommates to our world right now, all the way to the society, we're asking questions about love. We're asking, what is love? How do I get there? How does my family get there? How does society get there? That's why we need to talk about 1 John. That's why we need to work our way slowly through it. Because in this book... We see, first of all, how God loves us. We see how God has proven that he loves us. We see how God empowers us to love. And we see how we start to love. Fundamentally, the Christian God is a God of love. In fact, later on, as we get into this book, that's how John defines God. He says, God is love. And we'll talk about what that means when we get there. So stick with us. If you stick around this semester, if you come, if you engage with this topic, I guarantee, I promise you, you will learn more about love. Not just like head knowledge about love. But if you engage with this topic, you'll get what we all desperately want, what our society desperately needs, which is love. So with that, let's dive in, shall we? So we've got the text printed in front of you. I'll go ahead and read it. And then we'll, um, we'll see what this book has to start to say to us. So in the, um, this is the first four verses of, John, of John's letter. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Let me pray for us real quick. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for how it speaks to our very real situation, even here in New Mexico State on a Tuesday night. I pray that your spirit would be present here in a way that shows us not just words on a page, but actually speaks to our hearts and our community. Use my words to that end. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this is a weird way to start off a letter, right? How many of you would start off a letter this way? Not very many of you. I can tell you that right now. It feels really abstract, doesn't it? You read this and you're like, what do I? there's not a lot to grab onto. You don't know what to do with it. And as we dig in, I think we'll have a lot to say, but it's really tough. So what are some things that we can sort of begin to grab onto as we look at this passage? Well, first of all, I think we need to remember what this actually is. It's a letter. 
It's a letter that one person wrote to another group of people. And so what we just read, these first four verses, are the introduction. He's basically saying, this is why you need to listen to me. This is his hook. You know, when you watch a movie or you read a good, um, read a good book, the first chapter should hook you in. It should tell you, this is why you should keep reading. This is why you should pay attention. That's what John is saying. He's saying, this is why you should pay attention. So if it's a bit confusing, it's because that's what he's trying to say. But it's still a bit confusing. We come away from this and we're like, why? I don't understand what he's saying here. Well, another reason why it's hard to understand is because it's backward from how we normally speak. Do I have any grammar nerds in the house? One grammar nerd, two grammar nerds. Okay, so when we, kind of a grammar nerd, kind of. Oxford comma? Kind of. Kind of. Um, so, okay, I don't want to make a fight now. So, um, so I just watched a video today about an Oxford comma and the fight around the Oxford comma. It's a big deal. I'm pro-Oxford comma, but we can talk. So, um, so anyways, anyways, when we make a sentence... How do we normally phrase a sentence? We say the subject, and then the verb, and then the direct object, right? So for example, you would say, I saw the dog. I being the subject, saw being the verb, the dog being the direct object. That's how we normally make a sentence, right? Well, here, John is starting off backwards. He starts off with the direct object, then goes to the subject and the verb. He says, and so with our example, he says, the dog I saw. But then he strings a whole bunch of other stuff in it. But that's the, that's the core of his sentence. Now, why in the world would he do that? Why would John take a perfectly good sentence and mix it up in a way that, would, that, that, that it makes it honestly more difficult to understand? Well, he does it for the same reason that you would say the dog I saw. It's for a rhetorical point. What's the first thing you think about? when you, The dog. So that's what he's doing here. He, he is leading off for rhetorical, for emphasis. He's putting emphasis on one thing when he says. So what is that one thing he says? He says, that which was from the beginning. That which was from the beginning. Now, what does he mean by that? That is a loaded phrase. A loaded phrase that is full of meaning for John and his readers that we kind of have to unpack today. So when he says the beginning, John means the literal beginning. Like before there was matter and time and space. The thing that was before that, before all that, that thing. It is from the literal beginning. And so in that sense, that thing is greater and older and bigger than everything that is in our universe. Everything that we see, everything in time and space. And so we, that would mean that that thing completely transcends everything that we see, everything that we experience. So in that sense, that which was from the beginning is the always existing one. And so in Christian theology, we call this God's transcendence. God's transcendence. And what does that mean? It means that God utterly transcends or that God goes beyond everything in our world. God is totally out there. God is capital O other. God is, there's creation and there's God and he is bigger than it. He made it. And so that means he is bigger. He is outside of the matrix. He's outside of the system. If that, and so that's what, he's, that's what John is saying here. That's really hard for us to understand today, isn't it? Because we live in a world that is driven by our senses, by what we can see. And so we say, if I can't see it, if I can't touch it, it ain't real. I'm not buying it. Think of it this way. Think if there's an old great king who's up on a throne, on a castle, on a mountain. He's way up there, and all the people are down in the village. The king never comes down, and the people can't get up. 
There's no way. They just, they don't talk. He rules over them and they do not talk. The king won't come down and the people can't come up. Well, it's just like that, but it's on like a cosmic level, way bigger level. There's like a great barrier in the universe. God is there and we are here. That which was from the beginning. And this, if you're familiar with John's writing, if you're familiar with the Bible, this isn't the first time that John does this. In his gospel, which is another book that he wrote about Jesus Christ's life, he starts it off, he says, in the beginning was the word. So he's doing the same thing again. He's saying, in the beginning, before anything was, there was this thing called the word. And then even in doing that in his gospel, John is even hearkening further back to maybe, maybe some of you know the very first book of the Bible. The first words are, in the beginning, God created. So again, he's playing all the way back to the very beginning of time and space and saying, that which was from the beginning, read God. Read God, who is completely other, completely different from us. That which was from the beginning is John's way of saying God himself, the always existent one, the one who is greater and grander than anything else in creation. So then what are his next words? He says that which was from the beginning, and then look what he says here. He says, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands. What is he saying here? He's saying that, yes, even God himself, we saw him, we touched him, we heard him. We physically, with, our, with all of our senses, we saw God himself. He uses every sort of like sensory, empir- empirical word that he can think of to say, we experienced God. He says, we heard him. We heard God. He says, we saw him with our eyes, which means that it was physical. Just like you're seeing me and I'm seeing... He, that's what he's saying. He's saying, I saw that which from the beginning. I saw God. We saw God. Then he says, we have looked upon. Well, you might be thinking, what's the difference between saw and looked upon? Well, it's a specific word here that he uses that means we studied or we contemplated. We beheld. We understood what we're seeing. It's not like you can look at something and be like, I don't know what I'm seeing. But he's like, we understood, we comprehended what we are seeing here. He says that we touched with our hands. Again, it's physical, it's tactile. He's saying, with this very hand, he would say, I touched God. He says he was made manifest. That means it's public. He was publicly shown. So it's not hidden for like a select few to see. It's like, well, this group saw God, but the rest of y'all, he says, no, it was publicly manifest. A bunch of people saw it. And the rest of the Bible, we can, you can see other places where other people say the exact, would say that the same thing. And then finally, he says, we testify later on. He says, we testify to you this. And that, he's using legal language so he, of an eyewitness in court. So he's saying here, I swear to you. I swear on a stack of Bibles is how we would say it today. I swear I saw God. He wants to be as emphatic as he can. That which was from the beginning, that which is totally different from us, that which made everything that we are, that being came down and made himself sensible in every possible sense that I can possibly tell you. It wasn't a personal trance. It wasn't a group hallucination. We didn't come up with this. It actually happened. So this is a huge claim. 
This is a claim. Think about what's, what he's saying here. He's claiming that a man that 2,000 years ago, a guy wrote a letter to a group of people that says, we saw God. We rubbed shoulders with God himself. That is a huge, huge claim. And some of you may be thinking, that's too far. He's nuts. He can't possibly mean that. Well, how, how can you possibly prove that to, to me? Well, think of it this way. We are reading purportedly a real, a real letter here. We're reading a letter that's been preserved very well through history. We're reading a letter that, of one person to another that says, I saw this. So think of it this way. Let's say one of your friends texted you and said, I saw a unicorn. I saw a unicorn. You'd be like, yeah, right. Funny. Funny. But let's say a group of people, say four of your friends, texted you and said, I saw a unicorn. Not only did I see a unicorn, we saw a unicorn. Not only did we see a unicorn, we touched it, we felt it, we understood what we were seeing, and it's real. Now, and you knew they weren't joking. You knew they weren't playing a prank on you. Like, they're serious. You would at least, you would either think they're nuts, or you would have to, you would at least, you would entertain it, because you trust your friends. That's what's happening here. That is what's happening here. A person is saying to another person, this actually happened to me. So some of you might be thinking, well, this is the first century AD. These people, were, they were superstitious. In fact, they had the whole pantheon of gods, like Hermes and Zeus and that kind of thing. They were superstitious, so they were inclined to believe that sort of thing. It was no big deal, and today we know better than that. Well, I want to show you why that's not entirely fair for us to say that. If you, think, if, you, if you look at another book in the Bible, in the book of Acts, chapter 17, Paul is standing on the, the hill in Athens, in Athens, Greece, and he's standing among what was then the university professors of the day. So they're like the intellectual elite, and they're actually very similar in how they think as with the people that John is writing to. And Paul goes up to them and says, the God who made the world, i.e. the one from the beginning, that God became a man i.e. one you could touch and see, he died and came back to life. Well, you know what they said to him? Acts 17.32 says, when they heard about the resurrection, they mocked. They were like, no way, dead people don't come back to life. We all know that. So what does this tell us? It tells us that, no, they weren't more susceptible. They weren't more like willing to believe this sort of thing. This, this claim that John is saying here is just as incredible to them then as it is to us now. So we have to entertain it. That's exactly what we say is actually happening in the Christian gospel, is that God became man in the person of Jesus Christ. God became man in the person of Jesus Christ. And I want to reflect on that for a minute because that is the heart, I mean the kernel, the core of the Christian message. And this is where we begin to see what love is. This is how we begin, and that's why John is starting his letter off this way. You think, what does this have to do with love? This is how John is starting off his message. He says, by this we know love. God, the always existing one, the one far greater and far grander than anything that we can possibly imagine, loves us so much so that he would become a human being. He would debase himself, in a sense, to become a human being, be clothed in human flesh, and then what? Later on, we'll see in the rest of this book that he would actually die for people like us. He would die because he loves us. That is what John is, say- John is saying here. God comes close to us. That is the beginning of love. And that's why John is starting his letter this way. That God comes close to us. And I was trying to think of, like, what does this look like? And I was thinking back on my childhood 
my brother and I were like huge military nuts. We loved everything that had to do with the military. And so we would play, we had like these toy tanks that we would like build these landscapes with. And then we would like have tank battles with these landscapes. And so I remember quite often my grandfather would come over and like watch us when my parents would go out. And my grandfather was a, um, he was in a mechanized unit in the Korean War. He drove bulldozers in a mechanized combat unit. And so I remember, I mean, he knew a lot about mechanized warfare, like a lot. He lived it, he fought it, that kind of thing. So he, but you know what he would do? He wouldn't get down on our level and be like, you guys have the wrong tank formation. You're going you're gonna to get your butts handed to you. Or something. He, would get, <laughs> he would get down on his hands and knees, an old man, and he would play with us. He would play tanks with us on our level. That's what's happening here. Why did he do that? Because he loved us. You've all had that happen. You've had someone who comes close to you and explains something to you or comes close to you because they love you and, expl- and, and, and just does something that they're far greater at than you because they love you. That's what's happening here. God comes close to us because he loves you and he loves us. So some of you may be thinking, okay, so what? God comes close. How does that affect my life today? How, what, what impact does that have to me tomorrow when I go to physics or when I go to chemistry or something like that? It's a good question. Well, hang with me. Let's go on to the next part of this verse. He says here, I have touched, we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Well, what does that mean? Concerning the word of life. So my wife and I just moved here from St. Louis, Missouri. There's a lot of black churches in St. Louis, Missouri. And so if you've never had the chance to worship in a black church, do it. Like if you get a chance, it's an experience. It's amazing. I, yeah, it's awesome. So um, they, they can teach us a lot about Christianity. Uh, so in a white church, like the sermon starts kind of like it does tonight, like it's sort of anticlimactic. Some dude comes up and says, turn with me in your Bibles. You know, <laughs> it's boring. In a black church, <laughs> it's a totally different story. This, uh, you know, a preacher will stand up, and I'm going to butcher this, but he says, I have a word from God. And the rest of the audience says, amen, preach it, say it, preacher. See, that's it. Yeah, that's not me. (laughs) That's what's happening here. He's saying, that's what John is saying here. He's saying concerning the word of life. He's saying concerning this word of life, pertaining to this word of life. He's not using, he's using word here. He says, I have a message about life for you. I have a message about life from you and you need to listen up. So life, what does he mean by life? He does not mean mere biological vitality. He doesn't mean pulse. He doesn't mean pulmonary functioning. He means, he means more than scientific life. Well, how do I know? It's because later on he says eternal life and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life. And literally that means life of the ages. Life of the ages. And this goes back to that idea of the one that was from the beginning. It's life with, what does he say? He says, life with the Father manifests and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father. And so he says, I'm coming to you with a message of life about the one who became flesh. It's a message of life with the Father. It's the capital L life. It's the life that we all desperately need. And this reminds me of when Jesus says later on, in, or it says in John, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's so much more than just biological life. And it's, this is what we would call spiritual life. And by spiritual life, I do not mean non-physical, maybe like a ghost. I mean the fullest life that all of you and I desperately want. 
It's the full life, the capital F, capital L life that we desperately want. And isn't that what we want? Why do we come to college? Why do we get, a, seek to edu- get an education? Because we have this idea of what the full life is. We have this vision of this is what it means to be a happy, successful, healthy person, and that's what I want. Or why do commercials work? Commercials of all kinds work because they masterfully paint a 35 to 40 second vision of the full life. If you have this car, if you have this vacation, if you have this Glade plug-in, <laughs> then you'll have the full life. For me right now, that full life is like a two-inch lift on my forerunner and some mountaineering boots to go ice climbing. But each one of you have that thing that you said, if I have that, I will have the capital F, capital L life. The life that I want. The life that I need. And that's a good thing. We're made to be like that. We're made humans to need that full life. Well, here, what is John saying? He's saying that full life that we all desperately want, that life is available to us in Jesus Christ, the always existing one who loved us so much that he became human. That's the good news that he is going to tell us about in the rest of this book. In fact, that's the best news that we could possibly hear because it's about the life we all so desperately want. That's the life we so desperately want. And so what does he say? He says in verse 3, he says, And we have seen and heard, and which and that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. We proclaim it to you. If this is good news, if this is the best news about the full life that we all desperately want, he's like, I have to tell you about it. And that word that he uses for proclaim, that's a word that would that, 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 that it's a very technical sense that it means an, the announcement from a military victory. So let's say two, war, two countries would go to war. They would slam into each other. And they would send messengers back to either side about what happened. And that was like big news. Because if your side lost, that means you were enslaved to the other side. Or if your side won, that means your life could keep going on. And so they would send these messengers out who would proclaim, here's the news, and people listen to it. This is more than just tweeting about what you had at house for lunch. This is more than just like, this is what I'm up to today. This is the big news that civilizations hang on. Did we win? Did we lose? And John says, I proclaim to you the best news that you can possibly hear about the full life. Why would he proclaim news of the fullest life? Because why, and so why does he proclaim this message of the full life about God becoming man? Well, he's very clear. Look in verse 3. He says, we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. So that you may have fellowship with us. And again, fellowship is emphatic. In the Greek it says, so that fellowship you may have with us. Sort of like yoga. I mean Yoda. <laughs> but it, so it sounds awkward, but it's emphatic. Again, he wants you to know it's about fellowship at the end of the day. Well, what is this fellowship that he says? He says, first of all, it's fellowship with us. From the beginning, the Christian faith is always about joining together, people coming together to be a community of faith, to be a community of people that have believed this message of life, this word of life about what God has done and are seeking to work that out into all of their lives. There's always been, and there should always be, a coming together aspect to our faith. A coming together aspect of fellowship. If we believe this, and we should join together with others who are, have it. But it's not, and that's a lot of what we want to do here at RUF. It's in our name, Reformed University Fellowship. 
We want to be a community of people who are exploring what has happened in this person of Jesus Christ and how it affects all of our life. That's a lot of why we're here. But it's not just fellowship with each other. He also says, he says, indeed, our fellowship is with the Father. So this is more than just like man-to-man or woman-to-woman or man-to-man fellowship. This is fellowship with God himself, and that's a special kind of fellowship. In, the, um, in Christian theology, we have this idea of the Trinity, which is a very complex, very mysterious idea that I'm not going to be able to explain maybe ever in my life, but especially right now. But the idea is that there is one God, and within that one God, there are three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one, and they're so tightly united together that they're in perfect union, perfect fellowship. And so what John is saying here is he's saying, we come when, through this, we are in perfect fellowship with the Father. We get brought in to the perfect fellowship that the whole universe hovers around. We get brought into that fellowship through this news. It's sort of like if you've got a marriage between two people. There's two people, a man and woman will say, and they are, they, you know, they love each other. They're together, but they're distinct in that. But then all of a sudden, there's some kids that are brought into the mix. And those kids are included into the fellowship of the mom and dad in a special kind of way that only those kids can have. Only those kids can have that fellowship. Now, this is only an analogy, and it's, you know, all analogies break down at one level, but what he's saying here is that we have a special fellowship with God that is unlike any fellowship that we could possibly have. So what does this have to do with love, our theme, by this we know love? Why does John start off his book about love this way? Because, again, Christianity is fundamentally about God moving towards people in love. It is fundamentally and primarily about, Christian, about what Christianity is about. Some of you may think Christianity is about removing your sin, getting right with God with your sin. That is involved, and we're going to talk about that next week, but the ultimate goal of Christianity is fellowship with each other and fellowship with God. That's the end game. That is where we are ultimately loving each other, ultimately loving God, and that's where we're starting to live our full life. That's why John starts his book off that way. That's why he doesn't say the word love, but it's full of love. It's dripping love. It's dripping love. Christianity is about God fellowshipping with man, God coming down and fellowshipping with man so that we can have fellowship together with God. Christianity is about the always existing one, Dying and rising again from the dead so that we can join him in always existing, in the eternal life. It's about Jesus who had eternal fellowship with God being cut off from that fellowship so that we can have fellowship with God. Let that that sink into your heart. Let that sink into your mind. What is the result? If If that's really true, if all of that is really true, what's the result? Well, look at verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Joy. If this is all true, friends, if everything that John has just said is actually true, if that actually happened, then that means fellowship with each other, love with one another, the full life that we've all desired, all of that is within our grasp. And that means that we, are, that we have joy that can never be taken away from us within our grasp. Joy that we can never, ever lose within us. 
That's what John is saying with. So he's saying, stick with me. I'm going to tell you in this about the God who came close, so close that he became one of us. I touched him. He showed us love. That's what John is saying here. So this passage, I think, it, ha- it challenges us in a couple of ways. It challenges us in a couple of ways. I think there's two questions that we have to ask. One, do we believe John? Do we actually think that what he's saying actually happened? He made a crazy claim that God became a man. What do I think of that? Do I believe it? Do you believe it? You have to ask yourself that question. That's one of the questions that, he, that John is asking. And then remembering that this is an introduction to a letter, the next thing that this passage asks us is, are you willing to go along for the ride for the rest of this letter as John is taking us to this, along this journey of by this we know love? Are you willing to keep reading? Are you willing to keep exploring this, this God who became man? Are you willing to come and learn about this person? Because, and the stakes could be high. I mean, you're going to be challenged. I'm going to be challenged. Are you willing? And the rest of the, the book is about this, about this God who comes close so that by this we know love. I hope that you're ready. I hope that you would come along with us this semester. That you'll just, that, I mean, that you can keep coming, that you'll talk with your friends, that you'll talk with, maybe talk with me about it. Explore what is love and that we can explore what it means together and have fellowship with each other. So let me pray for us and then we'll sing again. Father and God, thank you for this letter. Thank you for what it says to us. Thank you for, even in this first four verses, we see your love for us, that you are a God who, be, who is the always existing one who comes close to us, who comes so close that he even becomes one of us, Some comes so close that you would show us what love is. So give us courage and strength the rest of this semester as we explore this, and we'll give you the glory and the praise, and it's in your name we pray, amen. Maybe please stand as you sing.